Chapter 5 of Maggie, A Girl of the Streets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jack Schwenderman. Maggie, A Girl of the Streets by Stephen Crane. Chapter 5 The girl, Maggie, blossomed in a mud puddle. She grew to be a most rare and wonderful production of a tenement district, a pretty girl. None of the dirt of Rum Alley seemed to be in her veins. The philosophers, upstairs, downstairs, and on the same floor, puzzled over it. When a child, playing and fighting with gammons in the street, dirt disguised her. Attired in tatters and grime, she went unseen. There came a time, however, when the young men of the vicinity said, "'Dat Johnson Goyle is a pretty good looker.' About this period her brother remarked to her, "'Mag, I'll tell you this, see, you've either got to go to hell or go to work.' Whereupon she went to work, having the feminine aversion of going to hell. By chance she got a position in an establishment where they made collars and cuffs. She received a stool and a machine in a room where sat twenty girls of various shades of yellow discontent. She perched on the stool and treadled at her machine all day, turning out collars, the name of whose brand could be noted for its irrelevancy to anything in connection with collars. At night she returned home to her mother. Jimmy grew large enough to take the vague position of head of the family. As incumbent of that office, he stumbled upstairs late at night, as his father had done before him. He reeled about the room, swearing at his relations, or went to sleep on the floor. The mother had gradually arisen to that degree of fame that she could bandy words with her acquaintances among the police. Justices. Court officials called her by her first name. When she appeared, they pursued a course which had been theirs for months. They invariably grinned and cried out, Hello, Mary, you here again? Her gray head wagged in many a court. She always besieged the bench with voluble excuses, explanations, apologies, and prayers. Her flaming face and rolling eyes were a sort of familiar sight on the island. She measured time by means of sprees and was eternally swollen and disheveled. One day the young man, Pete, who as a lad had smitten the devil's row urchin in the back of the head and put to flight the antagonists of his friend Jimmy, strutted upon the scene. He met Jimmy one day on the street, promised to take him to a boxing match in Williamsburg, and called for him in the evening. Maggie observed Pete. He sat on a table in the Johnson home and dangled his checked legs with an enticing nonchalance. His hair was curled down over his forehead in an oiled bang. His rather pug nose seemed to revolt from contact with a bristling mustache of short, wire-like hairs. His blue, double-breasted coat, edged with black braid, buttoned close to a red puff tie, and his patent leather shoes looked like murder-fitted weapons. His mannerisms stamped him as a man who had a correct sense of his personal superiority. There was valor and contempt for circumstances in the glance of his eye. 
he waved his hands like a man of the world, who dismisses religion and philosophy and says, Fudge. He had certainly seen everything, and with each curl of his lip, he declared that it amounted to nothing. Maggie thought he must be a very elegant and graceful bartender. He was telling tales to Jimmy. Maggie watched him furtively with half-closed eyes, lit with a vague interest. Holy gee, they makes me tired, he said. Most every day some farmer comes in and tries to run the shop, see? But they gets trod right out. I jolt them right out in the street before they knows where they is, see? Sure, said Jimmy. There was a mug come into place the other day with an idea he was going to own the place. Holy gee, he was going to own the place? I see he had a still on, and I didn't want to give him no stuff. So I says, get the hell out of here, and don't make no trouble. I says like that, see? Get the hell out of here, and don't make no trouble. Like that, get the hell out of here, I says, see? Jimmy nodded understandingly. Over his features played an eager desire to state the amount of his valor in a similar crisis, but the narrator proceeded. Well, the blokey, he says, to hell with it. I ain't looking for no scrap, he says. See? But he says, I'm spectable citizen, and I want a drink, and pretty damn soon, too. See? The hell, I says, like that. The hell, I says, see? Don't make no trouble, I says. Like that. Don't make no trouble. See? Then the mug he squared off and said he was fine as silk with his duke, see? And he wanted a drink damn quick. That's what he said, see? Sure, repeated Jimmy. Pete continued. Say, I just jumped the bar, and the way I plunked, that blokey was great, see? That's right. In the jaw, see? Holy gee. He trode a spittoon through the front windy. Say, I thought I'd drop dead. But the boss, he comes in after and he says, Pete, yes done just right. You've got to keep order and it's all right, see? It's all right, he says. That's what he said. The two held a technical discussion. That bloke was a dandy, said Pete, in conclusion. But he hadn't ought to made no trouble. That's what I says to them. Don't come in here and make no trouble, I says, like that. Don't make no trouble, see? As Jimmy and his friend exchanged tales descriptive of their prowess, Maggie leaned back in the shadow. Her eyes dwelt wonderingly and rather wistfully upon Pete's face. The broken furniture, grimy walls, and general disorder and dirt of her home of a sudden appeared before her and began to take a potential aspect. Pete's aristocratic person looked as if it might soil. She looked keenly at him, occasionally wondering if he was feeling contempt. But Pete seemed to be enveloped in reminiscence. Holly gee, said he, those mugs can't faze me. They knows I can wipe up the street with any tree of them. When he said, ah, what the hell, his voice was burdened with disdain for the inevitable and contempt for anything that fate might compel him to endure. Maggie perceived that here was the beau ideal of a man. Her dim thoughts were often searching for faraway lands where, as God says, the little hills sing together in the morning. Under the trees of her dream gardens there had always walked a lover. 
End of chapter 5. Recording by Jack Schwenderman, Flemington, New Jersey.